Good morning. It's good to have you guys here this morning. If you're in Kimmo, you can head on back. We're going to continue this morning what we left off with last week. We're talking about being the body. And part of being the church is uh, the challenge of functioning in the world the way that God has called us to function. It's being the people in this world that God has called us to be. And how do we as a group of people come together and how do we live as a community? How do we work together as a community? And how do we, more importantly, allow God to work in us? One of the challenges that I think we often deal with is we get involved in a lot of things that we believe we're supposed to do as Christians, but that doesn't mean that we are actually experiencing the work of God within our lives. And that is something that I, would, I want to see us as a community overcome. It is the challenge of saying there is more to this world, there's more to this life than simply believing the right things and doing a few things. Instead, God wants to work through us and do something in us beyond what we are capable of experiencing or doing ourselves. And so last week we looked at some of the spiritual gifts and I shared a few things with you. Uh, one of the things that I wanted you to remember from last week is that God has chosen his church, that is you, to change the world with his power. Now, if you remember, we looked at the story of the feeding of the 5,000, and this was a, a very interesting time in Jesus's life. And this is one of the reasons that we read scripture in context, not just a piece of scripture at a time. Often we'll read scripture based on an, a neat story, or you'll be going through a reading plan. But if we were not aware of what was happening before and after the feeding of the 5,000, you may not know that Jesus was dealing with getting the news that John the Baptist had just been killed. And so he withdrew and wanted to be alone, wanted to pray, wanted to process, because John was incredibly important in the rollout of the spread of the gospel in the world. He was the one that went before Jesus and thousands of people would come to see him. He would teach about what the law was really about. He would talk about repentance and that there was someone coming that was going to completely change everything. And then Jesus enters. John the Baptist baptized Jesus and then Jesus went on into his ministry. And yet as he was struggling with this reality to hear this man has been killed a man that he said there is no one born of, of any woman anywhere that was as great as him. He's gone. And all these people started coming to him. They know the news. They know what's happening. And as they come to him, he has a very great opportunity that some of us may take and say, you know what, it's just not a good time for me. You guys just need to go on. But instead he had compassion. He recognized these people need something for me and he was willing to give it. And he did something very interesting that we often miss in the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus does not say, I'm going to deal with this. Jesus tells his disciples, I need you to go take care of this. It was the same call that you and I have today, one that we often think somebody else should be doing this. The gospel needs to go out into the world. Somebody else should be the one that goes out into the other parts of the world. Somebody needs to reach the people in my community. There's somebody else better equipped with a better personality that people like more that should reach the people in my neighborhood. But what Jesus constantly does is say, I want you to go change the world. And they did what many of us do. They said, well, what, what can we do? And so that's when he blessed the loaves of bread and the few fish that they had. And it ended up feeding everyone. But even after he did that miracle, 
It was the disciples that he said, now you go and take care of this need. And what it demonstrates to me and what it should demonstrate to you is that God wants to work with you. Whenever he calls you to something, he doesn't call you and say, good luck. Have you ever been given that job? You're at work and there's a task that has to be done and everybody turns the other way because they don't want to be assigned to it. And they look at you and say, you go do this thing. I don't know. I don't want to do, I don't want to do that. I don't know how to do that. Many times in our own life and our own faith, we feel that way with God, don't we? We feel that way because we feel that God is asking us to do something beyond our ability and it's going to make us feel uncomfortable and it's going to cost us something and we're just not sure that's what we want to do. And so many times what we do in those situations is we just get busy with life. We just get focused on what's going on right, right around me. And we fail to follow through on this incredible call that God has that we can change the world with him. As long as we deny God's power in us, you and I are going to remain powerless. And I want you to know that if that is the kind of life that you live with Christ, you are missing, you are missing one of the most wonderful things about knowing him, and that is his work within your life. A few years ago, I don't know, yeah, Stacy's in here. Stacy and I went on a mission trip with uh, a bunch of people to Italy. And I remember that we got to fly to some pretty neat places. We were going with a group of other people from our church at the time, and we were going to go and somehow try to share the gospel in the midst of the Olympics when they were in Torino. And so we flew into the airport in Paris. Now, I would like to say I've been to Paris because I've been in the airport in Paris. But it was just a connecting flight so we could go on to Italy where we were going to get off the plane. Now, Deidre has been in Paris. She spent a summer in France going around, working with different camps, working with different kids, teaching English and doing different things. And at the same time, she, was, she went with a missions organization. They had, she had the opportunity to share the gospel. She went to all kinds of landmarks. She talked to all kinds of people. She already spoke French to a degree because she had studied French in high school and college. And so she was fluent and, and able to communicate. Me, not able to do any of that. I've been into the airport in France. Interestingly enough, not all that different than any other airport anywhere else in the world. I can tell you I've been to France. I can tell you I've been to Paris, but I haven't been to the Louvre. I haven't been to the Eiffel Tower. I haven't sat in a cafe on the side of the road. I, I haven't done any of that. I haven't really seen anything other than the fact that I was in the airport. And the reality is I could tell you I've been to France, but I have not experienced France. Similarly, you and I can have a knowledge about God and never truly experience God. That is where many people live today. It's one of the reasons that people are dropping out of churches. It's one of the reasons that people who grew up in the church are abandoning their faith. It's one of the reasons that people are saying God is dead and God cannot do anything. It's one of the reasons that people go around and say, you know, I've been praying and God just, I don't believe God's listening it's because they believe the right things and they may even be doing some good activities, but they are not experiencing the power of God in their lives. And so just like I've been to Paris, but really I haven't, there are many people who know God, but really they don't. 
And I knew early on in my life when I began to know that Jesus was real, I knew that at that moment I was not interested in all of the activities with church, but I was interested in knowing Jesus himself because he was real. And he was better than anything else I had experienced in life. So as we think through this of being the body, I want you to know that as long as we are denying God's power in us, we may be in the airport, but we're not experiencing what is really happening. And it is only when the Holy Spirit is empowered within us and that we are able to live through that, that we experience what is so wonderful for all those who have come before us and will come after us. And so that's what I want for us. That's what I want for you. We ended last week talking about God empowering the body to accomplish his purposes through the Holy Spirit. And the reality is that in faith, faith will always, always, always lead to action. We can say, I have faith, but if your faith is not an active faith, it's not real faith because God is so desperately needed all around this world that when we know who he is and we believe in who he is, it should move us to act. If we're not acting, then there's a problem with our faith because God will never lead you to the place to say, you know what, you're good, just hang out for a while. Now, there are times that God will lead you to places of healing, places of rest. But those are generally after a very active portion of your faith in which God has told you, not necessarily go over into the midst of the most poverty-stricken countries in the world, though some of you are going to be called to do that. Sometimes just to go over to the guy at work that nobody likes and you don't like. Sometimes that calling is to be involved with Kids in a church, whenever you're glad you don't have kids in the church, right? No, none of us. That's not us. Sometimes it means being involved in a messy family when there's no one else willing to be involved in their messy family and their messy family's falling apart. There's lots of reasons that God causes us to be active in our faith. I'm telling you, if we have true faith, it is always going to lead to action because God is desperately needed in our world. Just look at the news. Watch what's happening. Watch what's happening in our cities. Watch what's happening in our nation. Watch what's happening around the world. God is so desperately needed, and he wants to empower us. It's one of the reasons that Paul spoke so much about spiritual gifts is because he wanted people to understand what does it look like to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I just want to read through 1 Corinthians 12 real quickly, beginning with verse 1. It says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray, swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. You sitting right where you are are already keenly aware of your strengths and your weaknesses, although most of us are more keenly aware of our strengths than our weaknesses. We often want to deny our weaknesses. I want to think I'm good at everything. I want to think I'm right about everything. We have a saying in our family, at least my father and I, it's not we don't say it, they say it about us, (laughs) that we may not be right, but we're never in doubt. (laughs) We think we're always right. 
So again, Dad and I don't say this about ourselves. I say it about him sometimes because sometimes he disagrees with me. But the truth is we focus on our strengths. Our weaknesses are something we want to ignore. Whenever we go into a job interview and they ask you those dreaded questions, what are your three greatest strengths? I work too hard. I provide too much value for my employer. Um, I really outshine everybody in every department I've ever worked in. Well, what are your greatest weaknesses? I don't take enough time to rest. I think about how to do my job better every day. You know, we make up stuff. You know, and people will ask you, well, what are you really not good at? Well, gosh, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I don't know. Within our lives, when God empowers us, he does it so that we will work in different ways. You sitting where you are, a unique individual in which God has gifted you and God has given you a personality and a perspective of the world on purpose. Now, we're in a very interesting time right now in our nation. We're in a very interesting time because we have very polar opposite opinions of the way our nation should go. And this is what our culture is telling us. You need to pick one or the other. You're either with them or you're with us. You're either with us or you're with them. And we do this in the church. In the church, we will often say that you've got to fit in one specific mold. A good Christian looks like this. And that's great for everybody that looks like that. But what if you don't? What if God has created you to look different? What if God has created you to have a different perspective than other people? What if God has gifted you in a way that other people don't go, Mark, your gifting is so evident and awesome. I just wish I had your gift. What if God's not gifted you like that? Because I often look at people and go, man, gosh, God, you know, if you would just tie tie me into some of that, I'd be in good shape. But God has created you to be the person that you are right where you are. I think one of the times that we begin to learn this is in school. I think middle school particularly, it's that evil time of life that no one enjoys and we all try to forget. You can actually buy a yearbook in middle school. Any of you guys have middle school yearbooks? Some of you do. I don't know why anyone would want one because you try to block that period of your life out, right? Who wants a yearbook to remind me of that terrible time of life? It's one of those times, it's between elementary and middle school, that we begin to learn that there are differences between us. Whereas when you're younger and you're in preschool, there are no differences. I mean, one person has better snacks than the other. But other than that, we're really the same. Kids don't see color. Kids don't see that you come from a different background. Kids don't see the little logos that end up on clothes. Kids don't see the kind of car mom and dad drove up in. Kids don't see that thing. There's another person my size I can play with. I want to be with them. I mean, that's what kids see. But it's around the elementary to middle school years that we begin to recognize there are differences between us. Some are growing taller. Some are growing bigger. Some are better at sports. Some just seem to effortlessly get an A on their exams. And then we begin to notice a difference in social status. People just seem to like those people better than they like me. And then we begin to rest in what we naturally do as humans. I rest, I believe are my strengths. And I do that by pointing out your weaknesses. Because you don't have the same strengths that I do. 
Now, I'll ignore all of your strengths that I don't have, but I will point out the strengths that you don't have. And that's when we begin to see the division among people. And as we begin to grow and as we move into adulthood, you would think you would reach a point that maturity would overtake this quality of humanity. But in reality, it usually doesn't. It takes a supernatural intervention for us to come back to the place to say, you and I, we are different, but we are the same. It's desperately needed in our world. It's desperately needed in our church. And you will never fulfill your place in the kingdom until you recognize that God wants you to fill a unique place in his kingdom. So if I put a perfect Christian up on the screen, and this is what it looks like. You come to church so many times, you've read so many versions of Scripture, you can quote Greek and Hebrew, you give so much of your income, you serve so many hours a week. What we always do when we begin to put this list up, whether it's something that we make up in our own minds or something that somehow the church puts together, is we begin to tell people there is one way to follow God. There is one way to know God, but there are many ways to follow Him. And it may very well be that God has created you to be a unique voice among a lot of very similar voices. But there are very few places in this world that you are celebrated for being unique because the world doesn't like unique. The world likes the same. We're supposed to look the same. We're supposed to act the same. We're supposed to dress the same. We're supposed to vote the same. We're supposed to do the same thing at work. Our churches are supposed to all look alike. I I often go and meet with other ministers and there's like, you know, we've got one group. And as you notice, you know, we do things a little different here and we don't do a whole lot of traditional elements. And so it is many that are in the same similar type of church that we are believe that you should not have an organ. You should not have a choir. A pastor should not wear a robe, and yet I have many friends that do those things. And somehow we believe you've got to do church the way we do church if you're going to really be the church. And we've, we learned early on, one of our core values here was going to become as you are. And it was interesting that it was so, so received, and people could come in and look like anything and wear anything. And, and I remember my dad asked me this very wise question once, can I wear a coat and tie? Well, I don't know why you'd want to, but yeah, you can. He said, well, if I can come as I am, I should be able to wear a coat and tie. Like, well, okay, dad's right again. We're not all the same. You have a very unique place to live within this world. If we continue on in verse 7, it says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can... Help each other. So we can help each other. This is so incredibly interesting. That spiritual gifts talk not so much about just accomplishing God's purposes. But you need help. You need help here. And I need help here. And we are not supposed to be able to do this by ourselves. We need each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. 
to another. The same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same spirit gives faith to another and to someone else. The one spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives a person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. It is him that decides these things. As long as we deny God's power, we are going to remain powerless. Because we do not within us hold or have any great power that is in and of ourselves our own. You and I don't have that. And I think one of the greatest problems in the church today is that we are trying so hard to outsmart the need for the Holy Spirit. And yet we will never do that. As long as we deny God's power, we're going to remain powerless. How do we do this? One thing that I see often in people, especially if you are a person who does tend to dwell more on your weaknesses than your strengths, because there are people that do that. They tend to see all the things that are wrong with them. They've heard every voice of every person who's ever said something negative about them. And they constantly feel that they are incapable. They are not good enough. Maybe you didn't get the best grades in school. Maybe you weren't the best on the team. Maybe you weren't the one that everybody wanted to hang out with. And you began to learn over time, I'm just not as good as other people. When you begin to believe that God does not want to work in your life, you will miss out. You are denying God's power because you are saying, God, I am incapable of you doing anything with. Many of us do this. At different times of our lives, there are days that I go, man, I killed today. I did awesome today. I mean, if every day was like this, I am winning. But I don't have as many of those days as the other kind. Say, man, I need a redo. This was terrible. It's a terrible day. And you string enough of those together and it was a terrible week. You string enough weeks together, it was a terrible month. You string enough months together, it was a terrible year. It was a terrible period of my life. And oftentimes that's where we end up. We end up denying that God can work in us. You're not capable of doing that in me, God. And we deny that power, then we live powerlessly. And that is a place of death for a Christian. It's a place where you give up. And our expectation of God working in our life is only and solely for our own personal benefit, we deny the power of God. When I stop thinking about what does God want to use me to help someone else, I'm denying the power of God. When I am focused solely and wholeheartedly on what do I need at this moment, because we do that, what do I need right now? You know what I need? I need my kids to go clean the house and give me a day off and let me just miss work for a while. That's what I need. And you know what would happen if we did it that way? My kids would do a good job at cleaning the parts that they notice. And then I would probably lose my job. And I would still not feel any better. Because we cannot live in a vacuum where God must only work in our lives. If I am not looking at what do others need from me, I deny the power of God. 
another thing, and this may be where you are, because I know this is where a lot of people are. When we let the cares of the world overtake us and this weigh us down because the world is messed up, we deny the power of God. Because what we inadvertently say is, God, you cannot work in this. There is no more beauty in the world. There is nothing worthwhile happening in the world. And so we begin to deny God's power because we say the world is too much for Him. And when our faith is about our future, about one day when I die, I get to go to heaven, and it's not about our present. We're denying the power of God because He wants to do something in you and through you right now. One of the things I love and one of the things I learned early on is that we don't want to have to depend on anyone else so that we can live up to our own personal opinion, uh, um, potential, not opinions, sometimes opinions, but our potential. We don't want to have to depend on anyone, anyone else. And instead, we settle for what we can accomplish without the mighty power of a, of a magnificent God. I'm so thankful that God works in your life and that God works in mine. I'm so thankful that on the days I feel like I have failed and it is a terrible day and I need a do-over, God is still the Lord of that day. I'm thankful that at the end of the day, whenever I am going to stand before God in judgment, I don't have to stand up and give an accounting of how I was good enough. But instead, I can say, Jesus gave his life for me. I'm thankful that on the days that I kill it, I can say, God, thank you for helping me this day. And I don't have to do it on my own. See, when I take full credit, that feels good. But I have to also take full credit when I fail. And when I take full credit for when I fail, I deny that God may be wanting to use this failure to teach me something, to move me somewhere, to help me understand life a little bit better. You know, I don't want to have to depend on anyone else. I'm terrible about this. I'm terrible about asking for help. Is anybody else bad about that? I'm terrible for asking for help. If I can't do it myself, it may not get done. On the rare occasions I ask somebody else to help me, if it goes well, then great. And if it doesn't, then I probably will not ask anybody for a while. And that's all wrapped up in insecurity. It's all wrapped up in the need to be able to do it myself and not have to rely on somebody else. And I will tell you, if you live that kind of life, you will never have a marriage that you're thankful for. You will never live a full, complete life with somebody else. And you will never fully take your place in the kingdom of God and his body because you will believe that it is about you when it is about us. This is something I have to fight against. I have to have people remind me of. I have to recognize that there is a vulnerability that is necessary for us to truly love other people. And whenever I am so hard, I'm trying to just depend on myself. I'm denying the power of God in me and in us. For you, your gift is as individual as you are. But your gift will never change the world on its own. I love, we were greeting here just a few minutes ago, and I don't know if Jack was supposed to be here or not, but he jumped up on stage and grabbed his bass and started playing. I love that. I don't know if he was supposed to be here or not. He got held up by traffic or something, but I think he wasn't supposed to be here, and he just jumped in. I love that because that adds to the group. I've got something to offer. I'm not responsible to be doing anything, but I have something to offer to 
help others. And that is a mindset that the follower of Jesus has to have. As individuals, our gift is we can't change the world on its own. As good as you are at something, you can't do it on your own. As bad as you are, you're not supposed to do it on your own. We get to do it together. Because we are a team, and all of these gifts work together. I, I shared a little bit with you last week about spiritual gifts. And I, I, to be honest, I learned a whole lot about spiritual gifts from two people. One was a pastor that I sat under for a while, and this was a huge thing for him. Another was my dad, because my dad was a huge believer in the idea of spiritual gifts. And so he, he taught a lot. Some of you went through some classes that he did on spiritual gifts years back. And it's interesting how God has created us to be different types of people. For some of you, you would love to come up here and speak, and you're kind of like the guy in the video, and he's like, you know what, I, I'd, be, I'd be better than anybody else up there talking. I could do this. But for, for the most people, I think, they, the thought of having to come up and speak in a group of people would absolutely paralyze them, which is very interesting. One of the ways spiritual gifts work is whenever I have to walk into a room of people I don't know, I'm paralyzed. That's my personality. That's how God created me to be. But yeah, I don't have a real problem coming up and speaking like this to you. It's interesting how spiritual gifts overcome some of our natural tendencies because that is God's power working through us. Whenever you look at spiritual gifts and the gift of teaching, what you find is someone who is very capable of laying out the content as you need to hear it. However, I have heard some great teachers and I have been in some classes before and they laid out the content in a very excellent way and it had no interest and no power in me. It was such a boring class, even though they laid it out really well, I had no interest in continuing with that class. It happens here in sermons pretty regularly, I think too, but I've experienced that. I sat under people that were inspirational. They had the gift of encouragement. They had the, the ability to help people. And they were inspirational. And they said wonderful things. And I got really worked up. But there was no content to what they said. So I had no framework with which to do anything with it. And so ideally you have people coming together with the gift of encouragement. And you have people with the gift of exhortation that have the ability to teach with inspiration. And you have someone with the gift of teaching that can understand content and bring it together and put it in a neat outline, put it all together. And then you are true into God's word and you are inspiring people by what God's word can do in your life. The gift of mercy, when you are hurting someone to come alongside of you and to hug you and to say, God loves you and I love you and I'm here with you. I'm going to clean up your house for you. I'm going to be here and I'm going to serve you in any way that I can. Those people are wonderful to have around. But sometimes if you need to make a decision, they're the last person that you want to be around. If you put two people with a gift of mercy in a car and say, where do you want to go eat? You will never eat. <laughs> Ever. I don't know, where do you want to eat? I mean, I really want this day to be about you. No, 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 no. You are, you've had a hard day today. I want you to decide where we go eat. No, just pick a place. No, I'm really not wanting to. I don't, it's okay, you pick a place. You ever had those conversations? Yeah, right. We have people with the gift of service. Gosh, they're so much fun to be around because you can literally just sit and watch and they just work. And if you're not a person with the gift of service, you love to have the people with the gift of service and you want to ask them over to your house and you don't clean up for them. You clean up for everybody else. But when they come over, they do a better job than you would have. (laughs) So people with the gift of service are wonderful, but yet you put them in a church 
and they do all the work and there's no one there to come alongside them, they get burned out and they stop helping. They get tired. People with the gift of wisdom. I love people with the gift of wisdom. People that just get it. They begin to explain things or there's a dilemma that you're trying to figure out and they just, in a few short sentences, unravel the knot that you've been in for maybe your whole life. They just speak wisdom. One of the gifts that I wish I had that I do not have is the gift of discernment. And I know pastors that have it and they're much better pastors than I am. They can just look at somebody and they know everything they need to know about this person. First church I ever pastored in, I was in an interview and one of the deacons came up to me and said, can you look around the room and tell what everyone's spiritual gift is and what their role should be in the church? I was like, no. I guess this interview is over. No. I don't have that gift. But it is amazing when you talk to someone who has the gift of discernment, they walk up. And they can just in a moment offer some wisdom about what's going on inside of a person and it just opens up the whole dialogue. It's incredible. Gift of administration. There are many of you in this room and I don't understand you at all. I'll be honest. I do not understand people with the gift of administration. And if you want to ever walk through an administrative process with me, you'll understand why I, get, I don't get it. I hate administration. I'm pretty sure that Lucifer was an administrator in heaven because I'm pretty sure that the act of administration would drive anyone absolutely batty insane. Some of you feel the same way, apparently. But some of you are awesome at it. You know, Richard and Wendy, are they in here? I don't think, I don't know if they're in here. You know what they do for fun at night? They make spreadsheets. I'm not joking. And I am not joking. You go ask them what they did last night. It was, there was probably a spreadsheet involved. They love it. They are so organized and their administrative ability is so incredible that, you know, there are so many times I get a text from Wendy and whenever I get, and she doesn't know this, I'll have to talk to her about this later, but every time I get a text from Wendy, there are two possibilities of why I'm getting this text. Number one, I've done something wrong. All right. Now she'll never say that and she'll never make me feel that way. But if she has noticed it, she's letting me know you're missing something. And so it it lets me know that. The other thing is, is she's helping us plan. We haven't thought through something. And she asks good, intuitive questions that we have to think about. She does this for our small group. She does this also for our church. Administrative. It's incredible. You guys who have that gift, I would like for you to come up and see me after because we really need to get you hooked in here because we're administrative. No, we're not really that bad of shape. But if you don't have people with the gift of administration, you'll never be able to organize and do anything. And yet, if everyone in the church has the gift of administration, you may be the most efficient, organized group of people that loves no one. And I'm not saying that if you have the gift of administration, you don't love people. Uh, That came out wrong. That's not what I meant. However, people with the gift of mercy often do not have the gift of administration. I know, I'm going to have to to change the podcast. I'm going to have to erase that section of the podcast. See, God works all those things together. Now, see, whenever we try to plan something, I almost always feel like a failure because we miss what I consider something to be a huge thing that has been missed if I do it by myself. And it would be easy for me to say, I just need to stop pastoring because every time we plan something, I forget something. 
That's why we have to work together. That's why we have to have people coming together. And I have to recognize those people. This is one of the reasons I, for years, would never ask anybody to help with anything administrative because I thought they would hate me. Because anytime anybody asks me to do something administratively, I really don't like them. And so I assume that anybody I ask to do that would feel the same way about me because I am not an administrator. And yet I've learned that for those that God has gifted with the gift of administration, it encourages them. They thrive on the ability to do this stuff. And so I recognize it is my weakness that someone else is able to be strong. In my family, and I hope you experience this in your family, I find with each one of our children and between me and Deidre, God has made each of us different. We have some similarities, but we are each different. If, Deidre, if I was not married to Deidre, I would have no friends. It's true. I would have no friends. She softens me. You know, I, my mind always works. I'm always thinking about something. I'm, I'm critically trying to understand things. I constantly, whenever we watch a movie, I'm figuring out that does not, that's not right. Shouldn't be that way. Jake was playing a game the other day. It was this, I don't know what this, I don't know. Some of you may be playing it right this minute. I don't know. But he was playing this game where you can push the gas pedal and it makes the car go up the, up the hill. And you're like midair and hit the brake and you stop. I'm like, Jake, that is not the way the law of physics works. <laughs> Seriously, you can't do that. No car will ever do that. Of course, he's 16, starting to drive. I don't even understand this. If you pop up over a hill and you hit your brakes, nothing's going to happen. Most people don't think about that stuff. That's what I'm thinking. I can so critically assess stuff that I drive people crazy. Like, Deidre softens me. And there are times that Deidre is so emotive and she is so full of feeling and she just, people love her. She was always popular around people. People love being around Deidre. I've not experienced that, but she has. And so she softens me, but oftentimes she needs someone to help her understand what's happening in some other areas. Critical mind comes in. Usually I'm wrong, but still I help. God designs us to be different. Whenever we settle for living this life by ourselves, we are missing what God wants to do. Here's what I want you to do. We need each other. Let me read this first. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. Just as the body is one, has many members. And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. We cannot live as the church alone. You live in a world that tells you you need to do this alone. You need to get a job and take care of yourself. You need to make sure that you have a nice home and a nice car and you have a nice retirement. You need to make sure that all your dreams are fulfilled. You need to make sure that whatever you have ever hoped for, you design your life around the way to reach that thing. And you should do that because if you don't do that, you will not be happy. And the problem is so many people have designed their lives to fulfill their own personal dreams and they are absolutely miserable once they reach them. Because you were not made to live that way. We were made to be in one body, but individual members of that one body. We were made to have people come alongside and hold us accountable and us not like it when they do that. 
But whenever we're feeling down because we've been held accountable, we need a person with the gift of mercy to come alongside and help us realize we still have great value. Whenever we're hurting and we want to just give up and we've lost someone who's close to us or, or we've lost a job, we need somebody with compassion to come alongside and stand with us. And when we're not sure what to do with our kids because our kids are struggling or because we're struggling within our own lives, we need somebody with a gift of wisdom to come alongside and speak into us how God's Word can completely revolutionize this thing we're in. We need those people in our lives. And it only happens when we come together. But you will be tempted to stay apart. You will be tempted to be fitting in one mold or the other. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look to your left and to your right. And I just want you to say, I need you. This is going to feel wonderful. Say, I need you. Turn to the other person. Say, I need you. And I know that you didn't want to sit by them. And had you known I was going to make you do this, you wouldn't have sat by them this morning. Say, I need you. You need me too. That's right. I make you feel better about your lives. Let me tell you. You need me. Look, look to the... Not everybody needs me, clearly. Look to the person behind you. Say, I need you. And the person in front of you, in Jesus' name, I need you. You know, that feels kind of good, doesn't it? I mean, it feels kind of weird and awkward, and you're hoping that you can get out of here before you have to match eyes with any of these people again, today at least. But it feels kind of good. It feels kind of good to know I don't have to make it through this life by myself. It feels kind of good knowing that in all the weaknesses that I run through my head every single day, it's okay. Because there are other people that are strong in the areas that I am weak, and I am strong where they are weak. It's okay. It feels good to look around and say these people matter and I matter to them. Because you know what makes a person want to be a part of the body of Christ? It's not our music. It's not teaching. It's not the kind of graphics we use. It's not our doctrinal statement. The thing that makes a person want to be about the body of Christ is the body of Christ. When they look at us and say, look at how they love each other. Look at how they take care of each other. Look at how they work together. Look at how they take care of each other's weaknesses. Look at how they love and know God. That's what leads a person to want to be a part of the body of Christ, not anything of these other activities that we do. Now, these other activities are good, and they serve a purpose. But I've never known a person to say, I need to know Jesus because that music was kicking. Never. Now, I know nobody says kicking about music, but I do that. That's my weakness. I'm not good with this kind of stuff. That's when God, people want us to know God. I want you to know that our different personalities are on purpose. I want to just give you a radical idea. Is it possible that no matter how you voted, you could both be right about your motive for voting? No, no, I can't. Media doesn't say we can do that. Commentators don't say we can do that. You know, it's funny. I have friends that are super conservative Republicans. I have friends that are super not conservative Democrats. And it's interesting when they both talk about why they are 
the way they are, I think, man, you guys are just not far off from each other, but you have bought into the idea that we have to be one or the other. Whereas what if God has gifted us with a different perspective? I joke about the fact that if Deidre was just like me, I would not need her. I got all that right here. If everybody was the same, we wouldn't need anybody else. And so when we look at people with judgment and we say, well, you don't see things the way I do, praise the Lord. Well, you don't do things the way I do them. Well, if we all did them that one way, we'd be in trouble. But instead, God has gifted us to be so different and so unique. Use your uniqueness and understand there is no hierarchy in heaven. There is no ascension plan to get somewhere higher up the list. There's no way to somehow be better than anybody else. We are all equal before God. And so when we fulfill our roles, we allow the kingdom of heaven to expand into this world. (coughs) Excuse me. 1 Corinthians 12, 15 says, If the foot should say, I, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, there, where would this be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of us, and each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member... Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. There is no hierarchy in heaven. We all have a a role to play. When you sit out from your role, for whatever reason, I'm just too busy, Uh, I just don't feel like I'm capable, I just don't believe God can actually do anything through me. When you sit out, that does not mean someone else will fulfill that role for you. We need you to fulfill that role. We need to allow grace to expand through us so that whenever someone sees differently, we don't judge them for seeing differently. We begin to realize God created them for this. And we need to recognize that this is how God wants to work in us. We need to look for ways of loving each other and recognize that God does Create us to to experience and to give love differently from each other. If you've never been through the five love languages, I love the five love language content. It's so good talking about the fact that what I may feel as love, you may not. What I may offer as love, you may not feel as love. I've seen so many couples that have began to understand each other better when they recognize how they've been created. If you're a person that loves physical touch, you love to be cuddled, and that is just what you love, then any time that you sit close or you hold hands or you're cuddling watching TV or whatever, you just feel loved. But a person who likes to get words of affirmation within their lives, they like to be encouraged, they like for you to tell them why you love them. You can cuddle them all day long and they're going to be like, oh, this is great, but I don't necessarily feel loved. But see, if you're the person who loves to be held, you think by holding them, I'm expressing love to them, but that may not be the way they're seeing it. You realize God made us that way. It is not a defect. He made us to be different because God values all kinds of diversity and variety. 
When someone walks in and they don't dress the way you would think someone would dress walking into a church service, we have to recognize God has made this person different. When a person comes in and they have a different perspective of how the world is supposed to work, we recognize God has made them different. And when grace begins to grow in us, we, for, we no longer say, you know what, conform to our idea. We begin to embrace in spite of our differences. I just wonder what would happen if we began to just invite difference between us. What would happen in our churches? Gosh, we have this conversation all the time with pastors. What would happen if our churches embraced diversity? What would happen if we didn't all have to have the exact same church service? We didn't have to preach exactly the same way. We didn't have to look exactly the same way. What happened if we truly embraced that and we said, these are our brothers and our sisters. We are part of one body. Can you imagine if all the churches in Chattanooga came together? What would happen to our homeless population? What would happen to children that need a place to live? What would happen to the the need for gangs within our town? You know why people are involved in gangs. It's because they're looking for the family of God, but they haven't found it. And so instead, they have sacrificed for another family that makes them feel like they're apart, even though it is killing them. It's because we were made to need the family of God. Matthew 18 talks about who is the greatest. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them three a mist of them, and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Remember, children don't see differences. We learn differences. Children just embrace. And that's what he's saying. We have to be as the body of Christ. We have to embrace differences. Whenever your gift is a gift of service and you see somebody not serving, your, your first thought is going to be, why aren't you serving? Why aren't you serving? I mean, you may be thinking first, how can I serve you? Because that's your spiritual gift. But eventually you're going to say, why aren't you doing what we're doing? Why aren't you helping? And yet we find that that individual is doing deep counseling with people that no one talks about. And they are exercising a level of mercy that we, while we are serving, may not even notice. And it would be so easy to say, you know what, you're not serving. You're not doing good enough. I don't even, I'm not even sure you're a Christian. And while they are performing another function that is desperately needed in the body. Similarly, you may be a teacher. And you may just love to study and you love to outline. And if we opened your Bible, you would have 15 different colors and no one could understand what in the world you've done. But you understand how you have just picked apart this scripture and you could explain it to anybody. And you look at someone who has the gift of exhortation. And you wonder, did you study at all? I mean, did you study anything of what you just said? I mean, it was really exciting and I'm really excited, but you didn't do any studying whatsoever. And yet we understand God gifted them to fulfill a different role when he did a teacher. The gift of prophecy, the desire to tell truth, 
That pastor I told you about that I learned so much about spiritual gifts, he used to like to say there's a reason they killed all the prophets in the Old Testament. Because they spoke truth and they didn't sugarcoat it. And some of you love that. Man, I wish they'd stop sugarcoating this thing. It's cut and dry. This is the way it ought to be. And they have no friends at all. (laughs) You know, right? They have no friends at all except other people who agree with them. That's who their friends are. And yet God has gifted a group of people that that is their place to share truth so that we stay true to who God is and what he's calling us to. But if a person with a gift of prophecy does not have people with a gift of mercy and grace around them, then they are going to become very hard to listen to. If a person with a gift of teaching doesn't have someone with a gift of exhortation around them, then that teaching may be spot on but not lead anybody to make any change within their lives. All of these things work together. Now, so where does that leave you? How do we close this out today? Some of you know, how many of you, just, just curious, how many of you think you know what your spiritual gift is? Just curious. Okay, a handful, a handful. That means a whole lot of you are really unsure how God is supernaturally working within your life. Some of you know, and you're just not going to raise your hand because that's the kind of personality God has made you with. I'm not raising my hand. I know what it is. I'm not letting you know that I know what it is. And that's okay because God's made you and I can embrace you because you're different, right? You have an opportunity to work within the supernatural gifting of the Holy Spirit in your life. And until you're doing that fully, the church is suffering. Because God hasn't put somebody, a surrogate in for you. So I want to encourage you to begin to explore what does it look like to have a spiritual gift for you? It may be going back and reading. If you're on version, you can go back and read all these scriptures. Begin praying, God, what is my spiritual gift? It's incredible. There are a number. And I can, if, you want, if you want me to give you one, I'll give you one. There are a number of spiritual gifts inventories out there that will ask you a series of questions similar to a personality test and it will kind of point you in a direction although any kind of test like that cannot accurately understand the holy spirit the holy spirit still has to speak to you but it may give you a direction for what you're good at sometimes you need to go to another person a mature believer and say what do you think my gift is and if they know you they can say this is what i see in you and i think this is what god is doing in you and as you begin to work in those things you begin to do it effortlessly like ah, should i just do this it's kind of like the administration thing i don't get it but some of you do And you just effortlessly live in that life. Whereas for me, it takes so much time and effort. Do not settle for what you can accomplish without the mighty power of a magnificent God. Do not settle for living this life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not settle for coming and sitting in this service, singing these songs, serving in different places throughout the church. Don't settle for doing that without the power of God being absolutely manifested in you because that will change the world. Let me also say, do not believe that your spiritual gift will only be exercised in the confines of an organized faith community. He may exercise your spiritual gifts at work tomorrow. He may exercise your spiritual gifts when you're going shopping tomorrow. You may be in a line and every other line at Walmart or wherever you shop, every other line, five people have gone through, you're still sitting here. And yet your spiritual gift of encouragement is why God puts you in that line for the person that's trying to get you out as quickly as possible and knows everybody in their line is mad at them. 
Your spiritual gift is not just for what we do on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or whenever we meet. Your spiritual gift is meant to impact the world around you wherever you go. So I'd encourage you to do that. I'm going to leave you with Romans chapter 8. Because already, I've already thought of about five things I could have done better in my sermon today. And when I leave, I will probably think of five more, and I may get a few texts about six more after that. (laughs) But I often rest in this knowledge, as I hope you will rest in this knowledge yourself. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you. God is for us. My prayer is that we will be the body together. I want to pray with you, and we've got one more song we're going to do before we get out of here. I do want to give you a couple of things that are coming up that you'll be hearing about in the next few weeks. Um, we're excited about some, some changes happening here to our facility. In the next few weeks when you come in, you're going to begin to see some construction areas. Uh, we, our landlord is going to be making some changes, uh, to our area. And some of you may or may not know, but the area that we've sometimes used for kids time and sometimes used for kid mo, the, which was the third theater in this theater complex originally, uh, we don't actually rent that out. We get to use it from time to time, but that's not ours. And that is going to be renovated. Um, What you're also going to see is all the carpet in the hallways are going to be pulled up. Um, We're also, some of you know Glenn Draper, who is a retired minister of music. He's been all over the world, led choirs all over the world for governments and government officials. And, I mean, just an incredible guy. He was a local music minister as well. He has an office right up here that was the box office for the theater. He's moving into another suite, and that's going to become probably our main entrance over there. So we've got some really incredible upgrades that are going to be coming to our facility, but there always takes time for us to kind of get around those. You may come in in the next few weeks, and things will be a little out of sorts. Coffee may be in a weird place, or um, it may just look like a mess. Uh, We just encourage you to, to hang in here with us. As we continue to make some improvements in addition to those that he's going to be making. I'm really excited. I'm really excited to get this green carpet out of here. Again, some of you are already upset with me because you love the green carpet. But that's the way the church works. And uh, so you are going to be seeing some changes. Um, you know, for us, our whole purpose is that we live out an authentic Christian life. And that we want to lead other people to do the same. If you're our guest today, this may be kind of a weird sermon for you to come into. But I want you to know if God is leading you to be a place that you can use your gifts. And you also want to be with a group of people 
that even within their weaknesses are seeking to change the world, we would invite you to come along this journey with us. We're not perfect. We've got all kinds of problems, as you've probably already seen, or if you get to know us, then they'll become more evident. But yet we're authentically seeking Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives. We would invite you to come on this journey with us. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for the people in this room that just so adequately demonstrate all that I've just said. People with different backgrounds, different perspectives, people who are passionate, people that have been gifted by you to work in a specific way. I thank you that they are using those gifts that they add to each one of our lives. They add to our children's lives. They add to our lives. I thank you for the ways that you demonstrate your creative ability and power in us. Father, it's so easy for us to believe that we're not good enough. We're not capable. You can't truly use us like you can somebody else. And Lord, I pray that you would remove that lack of faith and that we would begin to trust and expect to see the Holy Spirit do incredible things in us and around us. I pray that we as a church would not become focused on just our day-to-day activities, just moving from one service to the next, from one activity to the next, but instead our hearts would remain focused on knowing you and following you. I pray for those in this room, and they are just, they are just tired today. They're just tired because they are just not sure that they're ever going to see what they've always hoped to see, that this power that we've talked about can be evident in their lives. Pray that you would encourage them, that they would know and they would believe that you have a plan, a unique plan for their lives. I thank you for the many unique lives that are in this room, some whose life stories are difficult, some whose life stories are are just truly wonderful. I thank you for those who are struggling today to believe that some of the decisions that they've made have disqualified them from any true ability to work within your kingdom. God, I thank you that Jesus died for them and he's offered forgiveness. And in the midst of their greatest pain and their greatest mistakes in their life, that you are going to totally turn around the life of somebody else, someone who may be dealing with the very same things. Father, I pray for those today that they believe these things and want these things to be true, but yet life right now is so overwhelming that they cannot focus on anything but the things before them. They can't focus on anything but the next step, the next decision, getting through the next day. The idea of you doing something magnificent in them, it's the farthest thing from their mind. Because right now all they can think about is all the bad things that are happening. And God, I pray that you would help them to see that in all of this, you are still Lord and you are still God. And you work all things towards good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Father, I pray that we would see all of the mistakes that we have made, all the weaknesses that we have, that those are opportunities for you to teach us and to grow us. I pray that for those that are looking and are fearful today of what may be happening in their lives or the lives of someone that they love, that no matter what happens in this world, Jesus died for us. This this is a pale comparison to the eternity that we will have with you in heaven. I pray that you would just give them a glimpse of what that looks like right now. That no matter how bad things could go, you are good and we will be with you forever. 
Pray for those in this room, and they are so committed to living out their life with you and their faith with you, but they are uncertain about how you have gifted them. God, I pray that you would bring people around them so that they can see and they can feel and they can know how you are working within them. That you created them to be in this world for a reason, that you have a place for them in this kingdom, and that they will play a role that no one else that has ever breathed in this world will be able to play. Thank you that you make us special, not because we ourselves are special, but simply because you love us. I pray that you would help us to love each other. I pray that you would allow us to see each other in our differences. And, and rather than pushing people away because we are different, we will embrace them because they more fully complete who we are as the body. Father, lead us that we would be a good representation of your body in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.